Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Citizens. My name is Jason. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff at the church. Um, fly, Eagles, fly. Um, I stood up here in week six when the Eagles were 6-0, and and I said they were going to the Super Bowl, and people after service told me I jinxed it, and it wasn't going to happen. Well, how about them apples? All right? So, um, any, now you're not... Okay, well, anyways, to get to, to the important stuff, um, uh, you, if you've been with us, you know that we are in a series at our church right now called The Liturgical Life, and um, this series has been transformative for me personally. Um, you know, a, as a staff, um, you know, I think we are seeing the transformative impacts of switching our rhythms around and changing the practices in our lives, and, you know, I, I can't go into too much detail, but... Last week I preached on prayer, and this week I feel like God really um, showed, at least at a staff level and for members of our com- certain members of our community, the power of prayer and what um, the power of a praying church um, can do and how, you know, how we can join God in the work that he's up to. And so if you're just joining us, the kind of big question that we are asking in this series is how do we organize our lives in such a way that allows us to experience life with God as it was meant to be lived, life to the full, this life that all of us are deeply longing for. Because as Dallas Willard famously used to say, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. In other words, following Jesus is not just about adopting a set of beliefs uh, or head knowledge. It's about adopting a way of life. It's about adopting a lifestyle that allows you to live in the reality that you are a beloved child of God. And all the practices we've been looking at throughout this series are tools that help us access this life that is freely available to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at what I believe to be the most countercultural practice of our day, and dare I say, the most important practice of all the practices, and that is the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath. Um, Every week I come up here, I always tell people I feel a certain amount of imposter syndrome because um, I don't always practice what I preach. But uh, if there were ever a week where I truly feel like an imposter, it's today. And preparing this sermon has been so humbling because it has revealed so many things about my heart and what I truly believe about God. And and I'm going to tell you this. There is nothing that will expose all of the idols of your heart than your view of Sabbath. And, And at the same time, I believe there is nothing that encapsulates what a life with God looks and feels like than the practice of Sabbath. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, we're just going to look at verses 1 to 3, and if uh, you're following along on a mobile device and you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Genesis, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it's also going to be on the screen behind me. This is the reading of God's Word. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us. 
before we start. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Would you open our hearts and our ears to receive what you would have for us today on this day of rest, this Sabbath day. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, somebody came up to me and said, Jason, you look so well-rested. And um, I'm pretty sure they meant it as a compliment. I think they meant that, you know, my skin might have looked dewy that day or something. But um, what's interesting is that I was offended. Um, and I went home and I said, what do you mean I look well-rested? Do you think I'm not working? You know, do you think I'm not being a good dad or a good husband? Do you think I just sleep all the time and I don't do anything? Are you saying I'm lazy? And I was like, why am I thinking these things? And I realized that what I want people to say is, bro, you need a break. And you look like you haven't slept in days. How are you managing everything with your family and ministry? Do you even sleep? And I want to say, no, I don't. <laughs> and um, I was scrolling my Instagram feed, and someone posted a video of Kobe, RIP. And um, it was an interview, and they're like, what is the secret to being great? And he said, there's no secret. I just out-hustle everyone. Nobody can outwork me. And he said something really interesting. He said, I just tell myself, rest at the end, not in the middle. And he said, why rest now when I can, when I can keep pushing now and rest later? And I looked down at the comments section, and everyone in the comments were like, mama mentality. That's why he's the greatest. That's why he's the goat. And I realized this is the prevailing mindset of our culture. If you want to be on top, if you want to be a God, there's no time to rest. And the great irony of that paradigm is that the most God-like thing you could do, according to our passage today, is to rest. This whole series has been about creating a rhythm for our lives that makes room for the Holy Spirit to dwell in and through us. And so much of life, as you know, is about cultivating rhythms, right? The reason why parenthood can be so jarring for so many people is because it destroys all of our rhythms. It destroys our rhythms for sleeping, eating, hanging out with friends. You know, like just last night, my wife and I, we, we went out with a few friends for the first, like without our kids, we, we live in Highland Park and my, my, we're walking through and my wife literally said, it's popping here. You know, and I, I was like, don't say popping, but, you know, like, we haven't been out in so long that, I mean, we're just, you know, our rhythms are so jacked up. And, and when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you realize that human beings were all created to live in a very specific rhythm, a rhythm of work and rest. God created the entire cosmos in six days. And then we read that he rested on the seventh day from all the work of creating he had done. God set aside one day and made it a day of rest. And it was the one day he blessed and called holy. And it's the first time the Bible in the Bible that something is made holy. And that's interesting, right? It's not a temple. It's not an altar or a mountain that God calls holy. 
he calls a day holy. And that word rest that you see in verse 2 is the Hebrew word Shabbat, which is where we get the word Sabbath. And that word shows up again in Exodus 20, where we find the Ten Commandments. And for some context on Exodus 20, God has just liberated his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And he gives them these commandments to shape them as a community. Right? These are people who for four centuries had one identity. Slaves. They were subhuman. Generation after generation after generation, their life was just exploitation. Right? All they did was work. All they did was produce for Pharaoh. Pharaoh's mantra was work or die. They were treated as people with no dignity, no worth, apart from what they could produce. And God realizes after he frees them from Egypt, like, oh man, these people, they have Stockholm Syndrome. This is the only reality they know. And so he takes them into the wilderness, and for 40 years... He, he's basically teaching them how to be a new kind of community, teaching them how to be a new people. And he gives them these Ten Commandments and says, you've basically lived as subhuman for the past 400 years, and I'm going to teach you now how to be human. I'm going to teach you now what it means to be my people. And he says, humans, the way I created them, they don't kill each other. Humans, the way I kill, uh, created them, they, they honor their father and mother. They don't lie and steal and covet and so forth. And it wasn't God saying, you need to do these things in order to be saved. There's a reason why God gave his people these commandments after he liberated them from Egypt. He was trying to say, look, there's nothing you could do to earn my love. I freed you because I love you. But now I want to show you how free people are supposed to live. And when you read through the Ten Commandments, do you know which commandment is the longest? Which one gets the most airtime and has the most detailed explanation? It's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. This is what it says in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, and I'll put it on the screen. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." God says, the reason I want you to keep this rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest is because that was my rhythm. And you're created in my image to be my representatives on earth. Walter Brueggemann says that the divine rest on the seventh day of creation makes clear three ways that God is different from Pharaoh. And he says that it shows us that Yahweh is not a workaholic, it shows us that Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of creation and that the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. Pharaoh was always demanding more. He was always pushing them harder, but not Yahweh. You know, we talk a lot at Citizens about what it means to be a light in this city, to be a city on a hill, to be a countercultural community that reflects who God is. If you're wondering what that looks like practically, it's right here. 
remember the Sabbath. And when I think about that, it's wild. That setting aside 24 hours once a week to rest could be the most countercultural, godlike thing we could do. And yet, so many of us do the exact opposite. In fact, many of us don't even consider this fourth commandment an actual commandment. You know, we, I think a lot of us live as though there are nine commandments. In fact, this is the one commandment, not only that we violate, but the one we brag about violating. You never say, Yo, I just killed someone yesterday. No, you don't say that. You know what you do say? Dude, I'm running on no sleep. haven't taken a vacation in three years. And you know what the person next to you always says? You're a beast. (laughs) You're such a warrior. How do you do it? I want to be just like you. I have never heard someone praised for resting well. Like, man, you're so good at creating time and margin in your life. Nobody says that. You know what we say? This generation... Low bandwidth, no capacity, complain all the time, always need breaks. It's almost a term of endearment when you open an email with, hey, so I know you're so busy, but can we hang out? Nobody says, hey, I know you have so much time, can we hang out? Right? That's an insult. We love when people say, I don't know how you juggle it all. We idolize people who are always moving, always grinding, always hustling, who seem like they never need a break. To rest in our culture is to be soft and weak. Nobody wants to be called weak, so what do we do? We keep going. We keep pushing. And we keep living like we're still slaves in Egypt. Like we're working for Pharaoh. Like our only value is in what we can produce. And because of technology, we now never have to stop working. We now never have to stop producing. Because I can now respond to an email at 2 in the morning. I can now create one more reel to promote my brand. And when everyone around you is working around the clock like this, you feel like you're falling behind. I meet 20-somethings these days all the time who tell me they feel like they're running out of time. They're like 29, and they're like, my life is over. I'm like, that is such an insult to me. But they've accomplished more in like five years than most people did in a lifetime, and they feel like they're running out of time. Any moment you feel like you're not doing something feels like wasted time. You know, and we think all of this technological progress is helping us, that it's improving our lives by giving us tools to be more productive. You know, this is why people are so fascinated by AI and chat GPT. Because you're like, you're telling me now there's a way where I can get a machine that never gets tired to produce things for me. You're telling me, like, I can go to sleep and this machine can do everything I want for me. That's not making us more human. It's making us less human. We're actually becoming machines. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And all of us, we have these pharaohs out there, and we have these pharaohs in here that are telling us, don't stop. Work or die. Do more. Work harder. Be better. And this pace of life is violence to our souls.
And if you don't believe me, you could just look at the statistics. For people who have the ability to accomplish more things than ever before in human history, why are we, without a shadow of a doubt, the most anxious, depressed, burnt-out, exhausted generation? A landmark study by the WHO and the ILO published a couple years ago found that 745,000 people in 2016 died of a stroke or heart disease as a direct result of overwork. 745,000 people. And you know what they found that the magic number was? We're working more than that puts you in grave risk of death. 55 hours. You know what 55 hours comes out to? About six full working days. Isn't that interesting? In 2023, there was still a design that works now. Don't mess with God's design. We think we know better than God. They've been talking about this problem of workaholism in Japan since the 90s, when people would literally drop dead in the middle of a street because they were overworked. And it became such a problem that they even coined a name for this problem, Karoshi, death by overwork. And yet you and I, we can't stop. We're addicted to busyness and productivity. And the irony is that we all know that at some point, it's like the law of diminishing returns. We're not even producing more. At some point, we're just staying busy for the sake of staying busy. Countries like France, back in the late 1700s, they actually tried changing the work week so that it was seven, nine days of work, one day of rest, because they're like, you know what? Let's try to coax just a little more productivity out of people. So let's make the work week nine days and give them one day a week. You know what happened? Suicide rates skyrocketed to an all-time high. People left their jobs because of burnout and production actually decreased. It turns out we weren't meant to live this way. We were built with a specific design, and we've been trying to push that design past its limits, trying to be something we were never meant to be, and we are now living in the consequences of that decision. I don't even have to ask most of you to know that you are exhausted. I mean, I see it in your faces right now. You're so exhausted. And to you this morning who are tired and weary... God offers us this beautiful invitation in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, I will give you rest. And he offers us this gift of rest through this ancient practice known as Sabbath, a 24-hour period each week when we stop working. And I know that the moment I just said 24 hours, a lot of you are like, nope, not for me. I could never do that. I mean, that would be nice if I could, but I can't. Well, I want you to just ask yourself this question. What is stopping you from setting aside one day a week to rest? Because I had to ask myself this very question this week. What's stopping you? Because I guarantee you, behind your answer to that question are the deepest idols of your heart. When I say what's stopping you from taking a one day a week to rest, maybe some of you are saying, well, momentum is building for my company right now and I can't take my foot off the gas pedal. Maybe some of you are saying, no, like I'm new at this job and I need my boss to approve of me. Maybe some of you are saying, if I don't do it, it's never going to get done. It will expose the deepest idols of our hearts. And it's so funny, right? 
Because I could ask every person in this room, do you want to rest? And you would say, absolutely. God hands us this great gift, and we're like, we don't want it. We're all sick. God gives us medicine, and we're like, we're okay. We're going to do it on our own. And obviously, I know there are seasons in our lives where, you know, setting aside a full 24 hours is not possible, but that's what they should be, seasons. They should be the exception, not the norm, because we weren't meant to live without a regular rhythm of rest. And let me just give us three truths about how Sabbath can transform our lives, okay? And I'm going to put each one on the screen. Number one, Sabbath reminds us that we are not God. Remembering that one truth once a week can be the most freeing thing ever. Our culture right now constantly talking about potential, constantly telling us how much more we could do. I can't tell you how many videos I've seen talking about how we have 86,400 seconds in a day. How are you using those moments? What could you do with that time? Are you making the most of it? And that can be inspiring for one moment, but over time, that message is a heavy yoke. But Sabbath says, the best thing about me is not what I can do, but what I can't do. Sabbath says, my limits are a gift because it reminds me that I am not God and I was not meant to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, though a lot of times I think I have to. And when you start practicing Sabbath, one of the things you will realize very quickly is that you aren't as important as you thought you were. You know, sometimes, like, I, I have to miss a Sunday because I, I'm, like, you know, on vacation or I'm guest speaking somewhere else. And there's a part of me that wants, like, the church to suffer a little. <laughs> like, if I'm honest. But you know what happens? I come back to Tuesday staff meetings. Like, that was one of the best services ever. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, like, I'm not as important as I thought I was. You are not holding the world together. I think some, some of us think we are. Christ is holding the world together. God chooses to use you, but let's be honest, he's probably a lot more efficient without you. God is probably like, when is this guy going to go to sleep so I can actually get some work done, right? Like when my kids help, try to help me cook, I'm like, I love it because they're my kids and I love cooking with them. But I'm like, when are they going to go away so I can actually make something, right? God is probably much more efficient without us. These days, we want to be everywhere and we want to know everything. And technology gives us the illusion that we can be omniscient and omnipresent and be limitless and Sabbath reminds us that we are finite and only God is infinite. And that while we rest, God is still working. In Sabbath, God is God and we are not. That's the first thing. The second thing, Sabbath reminds us that we are not what we do. You know what's interesting about the creation narrative? God, God's day of rest is the seventh day. So he creates for six days, rests on the seventh day. But he creates humans on the sixth day. So you know what our first day on earth is? It's a day of rest. Our first day is a day of rest. 
before we did anything, before we produced anything, God says, you can rest. Can you imagine you started at a new job and it's your first day and your boss comes up to you and says, take a day off. That would never happen because you didn't deserve it. You haven't proven yourself. And yet in the creation narrative, the first day that humans are on earth is a day of rest. Often many of us think our rest is tied to what we do. So we rest after we feel like we've done a lot. Or we rest when we're tired from doing. Or conversely, we don't rest because we don't feel like we've done enough. Or we don't feel like we deserve it yet. But by making our first day on earth a day of rest, God is saying rest is not something you earn. Rest is a gift of grace freely given to you. Rest is not something you do because your energy is depleted. Rest is something you do because my work is completed. You do not work to rest. You work from a place of rest. And this is so important to understand because even those of us who do rest, so many of us rest as a way to be more productive. I hear a lot of people say, I got to take a break so I can grind even harder once I'm done. So I can do even more once I'm done. Because there's a crazy busy season coming up that I need to prepare for, but that's missing the whole point. Rich Velotis, who's a pastor out in New York, says, we're not resting so we can be more productive. We're resting to resist the idol of productivity. We're resting so we don't need to keep doing. It reminds us that we are not what we do. And finally, Sabbath reminds us that though we're not finished, we can still rest in the finished work of Jesus. If you start to incorporate Sabbath into your life, one of the things you will realize very quickly is that you will never be finished with whatever it is you have to do. You're never done. There's always going to be one more email you wish you could have sent. There's always going to be one more conversation, one more text, one more meeting you could have taken. You're going to start saying things like, gosh, should I just do one quick 30-minute Zoom meeting so I don't have to do it this week? And there's always going to be this sense that you're unfinished. And I think a lot of times when we approach Sabbath, we say, I'll rest once I'm finished. Let me finish. But when we take a day each week to leave our work unfinished, we're making a declaration of faith that though we are not finished, Jesus' work is finished. It's what he said on the cross. It is finished. Everything I'm striving to achieve in this life is already mine in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, what does Sabbath look like practically? And, and pastor and author John Mark Comer gives a really helpful framework for this. And he says there are four primary movements in Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. Okay? Stop, rest, delight, and worship. So first, you got to stop. You have to stop working. Most people, we, we can't even get past the stop. There's, a, there's like a spear in our side and we can't even take this, pull the spear out. We got to stop. I'm guilt, I'm, trust me, I'm guilty of this. I'm on vacation. I'm checking emails. I'm hanging out with my kids and we're playing a game and I got my phone here checking emails. We got to stop. 
The second thing is we got to rest. Once the spear is out, you now have to rest. And, and every, for everyone, rest is going to look differently for you. Some of you, you need physical rest. You need to sleep. Just sleep. For some of you, you need emotional rest, whatever that looks like. If it's taking a walk, if it's disconnecting from social media. Some of you, and I'm going to say this for LA, you need social rest. Some of y'all are way too busy and you just need time alone. Okay, and let me just say this. Sabbath is not waiting for one day to catch up on all your errands. Okay, you know what Eugene Peterson calls that? He calls that a bastard Sabbath. He said, that's not a real Sabbath. And if you're like, well, when, am I, when else am I going to have time to do it? I have too many things on my plate. Ah, you have too many things on your plate. Answered your own question. If you feel like you cannot take one day to rest, it usually means there's something broken about your rhythm the other six days. Part of Sabbath keeping is also organizing the other days of your week so that you can set aside one day to rest. Okay, so rest. The third movement is delight. Sabbath is not just about not doing work. It's about enjoying all the good gifts God has given you. If you are a parent, Sabbath is about enjoying your children. If you're not a parent, it's about enjoying your freedom. Sabbath is, <laughs> Sabbath is when you should eat the best food. Sabbath is when you should break out the best wine. In the Jewish tradition, married couples always made love on the Sabbath. Some of you are like, I'm listening now. Okay, let's do this. When you go on vacation and that first moment and you're sitting on the beach and you're drinking a cocktail and you say, ah, that's the stuff. God gives the, you that gift every week if you would just receive it. God wants you to have that delight to experience and enjoy the life he's given you. And finally, worship. Stop, rest, delight, worship. And that doesn't mean going to church. I think a lot of us right now, we think we're practicing the Sabbath because we're here. It's like, I did my duty. I followed the fourth commandment. I'm here. It's funny, sometimes the most consistent churchgoers are the biggest violators of the Sabbath. It's the Pharisees. In fact, pastors and people in ministry are the worst violators of the Sabbath. You know why? Because even at church, we're still performing. We're still doing our duty. We're still doing. We're still trying to be productive. We're still trying to impress God. That doesn't look like rest. It doesn't feel like rest because that is not rest. In fact, that is not even the right God. You know, I was so rebuked talking this week. I had coffee with one of our church members who's a professor at Fuller. And I was telling him how much I struggle to rest because in ministry, there's always something to do. There's always a fire to put out. And he said, Jason, I think you worship a model minority God. And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? And he said, I think you worship a God of performance, obedience, and achievement. A God who wants you to bring home straight A's. And if you don't bring home straight A's, he's going to be disappointed in you. And I think for especially for Asian Americans... Keeping the Sabbath 
can feel like we're just bringing home straight A's, keeping another rule instead of a gift that we can embrace. So when we say worship, we are not talking about a religious activity. We're talking about reorienting our whole lives toward God. It's about recalibrating and realigning our hearts each week, these hearts that have slowly drifted off center. And the point of this time and why we take a moment each week, this hour, to sing together, why we take a moment to gather around God's word, why we gather around communion and community, and why we go out to eat afterwards is not to do something spiritual. It's so that we can reorient our hearts toward the one who has given us life. It's for us to come back to the place of supreme joy, peace, and love. As St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There's a reason why Jesus always performed miracles and healed on the Sabbath. It wasn't because he was trolling the Pharisees. It was because he wanted to show us something about what Sabbath was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a day of healing, a day of restoration, a day when eyes are opened and hearts are revived, when those on the outside are brought in, when the lost are found. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. And again, we don't have to be legalistic about it, but the worst thing we could do is disregard it as being irrelevant. Because if you don't slow yourself down, something else will. I guarantee you. In Korean, there's a word called momsal. You know what momsal is? It is when you are overworked and then your body says, nah, not today. Like, we're not doing this today. And it's like the craziest thing happens because sometimes you'll like plan this huge event and you think you're fine and the next day you're done. If you don't build Sabbath into your life, something else will slow you down. And God will say, i got to put you down to rest. We need to recover Sabbath as a way of life. It's going to be so hard, but so worth it. In the book of Hebrews, we read, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. We have to work to rest. We have to strive to rest. Friends, do, don't you ache to rest. Aren't you exhausted of the rat race? Aren't you tired of trying to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders? Aren't you tired of trying to make a name for yourself, trying to prove that you matter? There's an invitation for you today. In uh, 2021, there was a movie that came out called Dune, uh, which is based on a science fiction novel by Frank Herbert. And um, for those of you who've watched it, it's the story of Paul Atreides, who has to basically travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe uh, to make sure his family and his people are safe and to secure their future. And there's this moment in the movie when he's still a young teen and he's standing with his dad, um, Duke Leto, who at the time is the current leader of the House of Atreides. And Paul Atreides says to his dad, Dad, what if I'm not the future of the House of Atreides? Like, what if I don't want to do this? 
And his dad turns to him and he says, a great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. But if your answer is no, you'd still be the only thing I ever needed you to be, my son. Sabbath is an opportunity for God to tell you, you could do nothing. You could accomplish nothing. And I would still love you because you'd still be the only thing I ever needed you to be, my child. God wants you to know today, you don't have to be all put together. You don't have to be a super mom. You don't have to be CEO. You don't have to be student of the year. You don't have to be the perfect son. You don't have to make it in the industry. You don't have to be defined by your roles or your responsibilities. You just get to be my child. So friends, let's embrace this gift that God freely offers to us and let's rest in his perfect love. Let me pray. As our worship team comes up, as we've been doing each week, I want to give us a moment to reflect. And I want us to think about two things. First, I want us to ask ourselves, how are you doing? How is your soul doing? And I want you to ask yourself, what is keeping you from rest? What is keeping you from setting aside one day a week to do nothing? What are the lies that you've told yourself? What are the thoughts in your head? What are the anxieties that you're carrying in your heart? As we sit in that, let's take a moment to envision Jesus with his arms open wide. Say, come, all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. so many of us are tired. We feel like we're running at 100 miles an hour and we can't stop because we feel like there's so much we need to get done and there's still so much left to accomplish. There's still, still so much we need to strive for. And I pray that 
even now as we sit here together as a community, that in your still small voice, you would remind us that we don't need to accomplish anything. We can simply be. That you do not love us for what we can produce. You don't love us because of our performance or how well we fulfill our duties. You don't love us because we're good at our jobs or good at marriage or parenthood. You love us because you love us. So God, help us to embrace that truth. Help us to rest in the power of the gospel this morning. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, I'm gonna invite us to stand as we sing together. And every time we sing as a church, God is inviting us into that rest that our minds wouldn't drift to everything we have to do tomorrow, that we would be fully present in this moment, that our hearts would be reoriented to the giver of life. Let's worship together.